Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast. Today's topic, the behavior of drug addiction. behavior is something people choose to do, not something that happens to them. The modern Western world lives with great conveniences. One such convenience is the ability to obscure the lines between force and choice. The unbridled ability to choose destructive lifestyles then later claims such choices were forced by environment, disease, happenstance, etc., has become a societal scapegoat. We live with the costly convenience of a lack of self-control, and we live that way by choice. The more interaction I have with this world's mental aptitude, I see their desire to eliminate any sense of personal responsibility. The current outlook on life suggests environment is control, and subjective measures of disease excuse behavior. At no point is the individual considered from the perspective of personal ability or desire. We are expected to assume some outside forces cause the person's behavior to be made manifest. The individual had no choice in the matter. Environmental factors likely caused the decision made or the troubles extant. The world's requirement that behavior be explained in terms of external forces with no consideration for internal processes such as desire, decisions, self-control, lack of self-control, etc. For example, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration conducted a survey in 2013 that produced statistics showing some 9.4% of the U.S. population ages 12 and older use illegal drugs in some form. That number was up from 8.3% in the previous survey. 
Speaking in terms of environmental control, it seems reasonable that 90.7% of the country has more influence than that of 9.3%. This would indicate to me, if the environment were the prevailing factor, the overall environment's lack of drug use would have influenced a reduction over time, not an increase. This mentality regarding addiction as a disease is more infectious than the proposed disease itself. More importantly, this thought process has serious repercussions in the world of addiction. The proposal, people use drugs due to some uncontrollable external apparatus, is enabling generations of addicts. I'm not suggesting that a different form of external environmental force would necessarily change the addict's behavior. It could, but but we're not arguing one environment for another environment. I am suggesting proper thinking regarding addiction would provide necessary accountability and thereby motivate the internal decision-making of addicts. Some show complete disregard for accountability. I believe proper motivation would assist better choices regarding drug use. The implication drug use lies beyond the control of the individual and that drug use is ineluctable has done much to harm individual battles against addiction. Thus, consenting to the idea environment is the key factor, then change the environment. If you've identified the obvious problem, how about a solution to the problem? The issue here is that the environment is not the problem. Disease is not the problem. The individual is making the choice. That's where the problem is. As long as choices are being made by people whose behavior is being excused, you'll see no change. And indeed, we have seen no change. As expected, hypocrisy comes with this territory. Addiction's uncontrollable nature is only applied to an addict after drug use has set them down the path of trouble. This may be the most devastating aspect of this mentality. A moment of accountability rears its ugly head only to have the addict saved from its clutches by a new label. This label serves to redefine the terrible series of choices the addict made as unfortunate functions of a disease they possess. Any personal responsibility is respectfully removed because we have compassion for individuals that suffer from a disease. Once the disease is diagnosed, the addict is handed a powerful tool of manipulation used to maintain their chosen lifestyle. Basic interaction with man reveals decisions are not always made to pursue the best of interest. The character of our country is not what it once was. Life's base underlying anxieties have not changed over the centuries. Expectations are relatively the same. This is a major aspect of the relevancy of God's word in our lives. The God of the Bible created man. He knows man's frame and speaks in written form with fashion not bound by time. Man hasn't changed. Man's needs haven't changed. Certainly technology has advanced. Interactions have been modified, but there is nothing new under the sun. Yet as our major cities carry on, the new norm comes with intravenous drug paraphernalia laying in our streets. That's insanity. In 1976, alcoholism became known as alcohol dependence syndrome. This proposal marked a notable conceptual change to ideas regarding addiction. It started via debate among statisticians over bimodality versus unimodality forms of distribution in terms of alcohol abuse. Statistics of the day seem to suggest alcoholism was unimodal in distribution, thereby harming its prevailing philosophical relevance. 
The data brought about a change in the way that was once thought about alcoholism as an aspect of addiction. In other words, objective data suggested being a drunkard was not some sort of one-off disease or uncontrollable psychological defect. Collected surveys in the 1970s indicated a number of people moved in and out of the realm of description known as alcoholism, often at random. Furthermore, it was discovered the definition of alcoholism as a drinking problem was quite malleable and arbitrary. No objective measure of what experts would call alcoholism existed. Reports described varying levels of alcohol consumption, but dubbed their particular description of that consumption as symptomatic of what was then known as alcoholism. Nobody had had the discussion regarding what alcoholism actually was, not on a large scale. It was all being defined locally in various places, by different people, under different disciplines, in completely different ways. And you could be hit with that label or you could have been hit with that label at any point in any time. You still could today. Alcohol consumption within the realm of disease was further damaged when studies noted victims of this disease had at random times stopped consuming alcohol on their own accord. That's an odd characteristic of a disease. Prevailing ideas regarding alcohol as a disease did not allow for such behavior. Yet again, based upon objective data of the day, this philosophical approach was damaged, at least momentarily. Truth would not prevail in this realm for long. Soon, the men responsible for noting alcoholism was not the disease previously supposed, just made up a new proposal. You don't like the one you have, and nothing you had in front of you was really based on anything factual anyways, and was not related to any, to any form of biblical truth that mattered. So you just make up a new one, and you'll become famous. You'll be, you'll be written in the history books. You'll be, you'll be noted in the science books. You'll be noted as a great thinker. These men suggested the cause of alcoholism was more broad and more complex than first thought. The move from bimodal distribution to unimodal distribution should have been the first clue, and indeed momentarily was, that it's not more complex than first thought. When it went from bimodal to unimodal, the complexity scaled downwards, not upwards. Alcohol is the problem. Its varied uses in society does not give clues as to why some abuse it. Use of alcohol is abuse. It's a drug like any other. But let's examine behavior regarding alcohol in terms of disease. For a moment, let's allow the prevailing thought to exist as though it were real. As I write this, America is currently on lockdown due to the COVID-19 Chinese flu pandemic. Orders across America have been given to self-quarantine. The purpose of these high levels of social distancing is to prevent further contact with the virus. Preventing contact theoretically prevents further spread. That seems all seems like common sense. All seems sensical. No, no trouble there. I can we can all follow that. If there is a virus, experts are suggesting is causing great harm to our society. Their request to us is that we stay home, that we not interact socially on any large scale for a restricted amount of time for the purpose of hopefully causing the disease to dissipate or the virus to dissipate. That makes sense. Now, were we to treat alcohol like it were a disease, it would seem prudent to quarantine all homes and all businesses from the object of that disease. Therefore, we would remove this product, which has been so harmful and destructive from any possible human contact, right? And that, that's what you do when you want to get rid of a disease that is harming people, for example... COVID-19, the entire society mobilizes together and says, 
We're going to stay home for an extended period of time to get rid of this terrible disease that is wreaking havoc, but that's not what's happening with alcohol. Some 88,000 people die per year, year after year, from alcohol and alcohol-related incidents in America alone. Globally, an estimated 3 million deaths occur yearly, placing alcohol amongst the top killers worldwide. Considering our current distress with the Chinese flu, the disease of addiction to alcohol seems to fit the definition of at least, at least, an epidemic in America, if not a pandemic across the world. And yet I have seen no shutdowns to resolve the safety of the public, maybe because the leaders of the American Republic consume this deadly substance. But let's further discuss this behavior in terms of presumed disease. I have friends that have serious allergies to peanuts. Consumption of peanuts or peanut-based foods could land them in the hospital. As a result of such serious dangers, many restaurants post signs informing the public their foods are made with peanut-based oils and any other peanut-based ingredients. The danger is very real. And since this is based on biological mechanisms that are beyond the control of the person with the allergy, they must stay away from products that could cause serious harm or death. Yet drug addicts are given synthetic forms of their drug of choice in methadone clinics, and alcoholics can, while intoxicated, enter a business and purchase more alcohol freely. While people with real diseases try and stay away from causal factors, those with the disease of addiction search for it and buy it. Seems awfully strange behavior. Nonetheless, alcohol dependence syndrome was born. And rather than correcting the course in terms of proper philosophical approach to addiction, it stood to unite wildly varying philosophies. It became the coexist of the addiction world. This notes the stubborn mindsets regarding addiction as well as other theories in the world of mental health, refusing to change course regardless of factual data available. And it happens all the time. These people cling to their theories. And though the data does not bear out their theory and does not prove out that their approach is helpful, they stick with it anyways. Addiction became this unexplainable state of being for which subjective opinions across varying disciplines just simply chose to agree it exists. This unexplainable state somehow eradicates the ability of the infected individuals to make choices, at least in terms of their relationship to a particular substance. This loss of ability to make choices or assume personal control of behavior identifies individuals as being abnormal and therefore a victim of this state or disease. This clouded concept between voluntary behavior and uncontrollable addiction serves to produce much confusion and certainly is not helpful. Now, allow me to conclude this with the word of God. Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35 says, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup. When it moveth itself aright, at the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. In all my reading regarding this topic, this idea of addiction and its various complexities, 
I have been blessed to discover some honest and integral men that left behind a plethora of data that I can read through and sift through and learn from. These are men with varied backgrounds, such as medical doctors and psychologists and sociologists, and but they were people that were willing to respond honestly to objective data. Now, they're not Bible believers. I wish that they were. Though a few of them clearly were influenced by the Bible, most of them would likely mock the Bible. They don't believe it. But because of their integrity, they were responsible within their own discipline. And when the data that they sought out did not hold up their opinions, they were willing to change their opinions. And they left written records of these things, which allow me today to be able to study this matter out and observe some truthful information difficult to find in a world so full of confusion. But in all my reading on the subject, never have I read such a clear and honest description of the life of an addict as we just read in Proverbs. Woe, sorrow, contentions, babbling, wounds without a cause, redness of eyes. Some addicts display the fact that the way of the transgressor is hard more than others. The street addict symptomatically displays the realities of their situation. While the high-level executives conceal the sins that so easily beset them, they have the money and the ability to cover it up while the street addict is just giving himself over to it. The functioning alcoholic and the functioning drug addict is trying to live in two different worlds while the, the street addict is just giving themselves over to that world. Either way, whichever side an individual tends to land on, they awake and they seek it yet again all the same. But consider the biblical instruction. Look not thou. Do not even set your eyes upon the substance that you allow to assume so much control of your life. Furthermore, the passage notes the manipulation that tends to come built into this disease. It says, they have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me and I felt it not. <laughs> it's not my fault. Somebody else did this to me and I didn't know they did it. Somebody else got me into this situation and I don't know how they got me here. There's an aspect of drug addiction that's always blaming someone else. And now this world and this mentality of labeling addiction a disease just further enables that mindset. As a matter of fact, now it gives them a free pass. I'm addicted. I have a disease. You can't just get over a disease in a short amount of time. You can't just get past addiction in a short amount of time. Either way, the Bible's instruction, don't even look at it. Don't set your eyes upon it. Don't be near it. Don't be around it. Don't let it come into your sight. Of course, this instruction is given with the expectation individuals will make proper choices in light of such wisdom. How far would addiction progress in the lives of individuals committed to following the biblical instruction to refuse to set their eyes upon the substance of choice? I know a pastor who would take his children to the store. In light of this passage, look not thou upon the wine, when he needed to purchase a product that might be opposite the aisle that has alcohol on it, with his back to the alcohol in front of his children, he would sidestep down the aisle, pick up what he needed, making sure never to look back at the alcohol, and then sidestep back down the aisle, and then walk away. Not because he was tempted to drink the alcohol, he was putting in the practice to the absolute best of his ability and also teaching his children how serious it was to make certain you do not set your eyes upon alcohol. Now, would you say that was going a little far? Well, that's that's up to you to decide. But how far have you gone with alcohol? How far have you gone with drug addiction? I wouldn't say that's going too far if you've been found in the streets using drugs. I wouldn't say that's too far if 
your use of alcohol has caused you to come home and become abusive towards your family. I would say far more people need to practice it. You know, a little quarantine, a little time away, Lord willing, permanent time away. The bite of a serpent, the sting of an adder, perverted lifestyles involving strange women, perverse utterings that proceed from the heart. This is the biblical warning to all that toy with such danger. I'm afraid and I'm deeply concerned. Our nation is so lighthearted about alcohol and drug use. And across our country, petty drugs are becoming legal and we're moving more and more in the direction of making legal substances that have been known to destroy people's lives. The Bible says righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And if we as a nation can get together and try and stop the Chinese flu, why can't we get together and stop the death of 88,000 people per year? In 2017, the opioid crisis, fentanyl alone, killed 70,000 Americans. Is that not an epidemic that we need to address? So I hope you'll make the choice with me today. Refuse to seek it yet again. Thank you for listening and God bless. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.